Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their first-hand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another exciting episode. Today, I spoke with Maya, who is our Director of Student Innovation at Ingenious Prep. She runs our Leadership and Innovation Lab program, so I thought she was the perfect expert to interview today, and I was absolutely right. I'm so excited for you to take in all the knowledge. Here are some quick teasers of what's to come. You can be a straight-A student, have full marks on both SAT and ACT, and still be in this lowest category because you never did anything outside books. Here's another. The only acceptable alternative is, okay, I'm not aiming for a top-tier school. Then fine. I think we can recalibrate expectations. All right, enough teasers. I hope you're ready, and let's jump right in. Hi, Maya. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you, Noelle? I'm doing great. Thank you. Now to start, I know you are so celebrated at Ingenious Prep, but for our listeners who may not be as familiar, can you share a little about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Thank you for being so kind. I'm originally from Singapore. I personally went through the rigorous process of applying to U.S. schools. I ended up going to Cornell on a full scholarship, so I got really lucky. I double majored in government, which is the Cornell word for political science as well as economics. And interesting tidbit, I also studied four years of Russian. Oh, wow. In terms of professional life, after school, I started in banking. Like a lot of my fellow classmates who went to top schools, I think we all started out in a few specific few industries. So I did several years in investment banking regulation, decided that finance was ultimately not really for me. And then I moved into education where I started from the basics as an SAT, ACT tutor. So I've done many app cycles of app consulting, candidacy building. I personally sent students to every single Ivy. And um, I'm happy to say that more than 80% of my kids went to top 30 schools. I think in the last few years, I really decided to deep dive into the niche of entrepreneurship, leadership, and innovation, really to help students develop and mentor them in these specific fields. My primary motivation is hoping that I'll be able to help students develop these skills that stay with them for life. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So I'd love to start by debunking some myths about leadership. In a previous webinar, you mentioned that there are about 37,000 high schools in the United States, all of which have student body presidents. So despite popular belief, holding these student body leadership positions is not unique. Can you explain this concept further for us? Yes, of course. Imagine there is competitions or online programs or summer courses, whatever it is. Basically, if you are able to join them, anyone can join them. Sure, some are more competitive than others, but you are for sure not the only one in them. I don't think there's any such program where you would be the only person. So in the same logic, in every single high school, there are leadership positions. It might feel unique from your local vantage point. I am the only student body president in my high school. Nobody else is. But try and consider it from the perspective of the admissions officer who is assigned to, say, the region of North America. 
that's not unique at all. So if it happens to be a very competitive school, say Ivy League school, they would be getting application after application of valedictorian, captain, student body president, straight A students. So at some point being human, all of us get used to anything. So they are very used to this high caliber of students. So it doesn't really stand out to them, all of these, what we call institutional leadership positions in school. I really love how you put that into perspective for us. So kind of building onto that as well, if a student really wants to stand out, how should they think about leadership? What qualities of leadership really matter in college applications? A lot of students, the issue is that they understand leadership as something that they have. For example, I have a title, I have this office, right? I have gained this position. It's not really the best to see it that way. Leadership is not something you have, it's something you do, and it's more importantly, something you prove. That's why I talk a lot about demonstrator ability with my students. It's very easy to hold a position that, let's say, in the student context, a lot of these positions are not even elected, they're selected. So there is a further difference in that. Because it wasn't that you convinced people to vote for you. Maybe you just convinced one person to like you and that person managed to put you in this position. So we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but those are all possibilities. So you need to truly prove that your leadership value is beyond doubt by showing that it is not just an office. It's something that you live and breathe, something that you did in your local community. You started something that did not exist. And so obviously, by definition, you are the leader of that. So you just mentioned proving and demonstrating leadership. Can we dive a little deeper into that? Let's start with a dichotomy between what might demonstrate leadership and what might not. If you are the captain of your debate team, and that is a position that you were selected for, and you held that position for a year, and you feel that sufficiently demonstrates leadership, it really may not, because perhaps in the time that you were the captain of the debate team, absolutely nothing happened. Maybe the membership of the debate team went down from like 20 people to 17 people. That's actually a negative example. You actually should not be holding this position. So just occupying that office itself is not sufficient. So let's move to the other side of the dichotomy, which is non-traditional ways of gaining leadership. Let's say that you just happen to notice that there is constantly litter in your neighborhood and it annoys you because you live there and you'd like it to be beautiful and pretty and clean. You just decide, I'm going to get together with a couple of my friends Saturday morning. Let's just put on some jam, bring a boombox. I'm very old. I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) Bring a boombox and let's clean up our neighborhood. I think that demonstrates leadership way more than holding a, a, a fictitious debate captain title for a year when you didn't actually do anything. You would be able to write that in your college application about just picking up litter, making an actual effort to clean up your city. I think that appeals to anybody more than the debate captain story. And the last thing to remember is the person on the other side receiving your application is human. So when you are able to make that emotional connection, when you are able to trigger someone emotionally, those are the kinds of things that gets you remembered. I love that. And I guess we just debunked the second myth I had here, which is that students absolutely need to start a business or nonprofit to demonstrate leadership. So this is not true, correct? Of course, this is not true. And you know what? I understand where this question is coming from because I get it a lot as well, um, especially in the leadership uh, programs that I run. A lot of times students seem to think, oh, but I have no interest in selling anything. I don't want to market to anyone. And then I have to explain that selling and marketing skills are universal. You may not be selling a product. You could be selling a vision. Um, You could be selling yourself. 
that's the whole process of getting a job. You're literally selling yourself. So it's very superficial to think that you need to have a product to be in marketing and sales. It's just not true. Marketing is also just letting people know about something. It's just that the terminology is called marketing. So in my whole lab that I run, for instance, I think less than 5% of student projects actually involve any money. The vast majority is just aiming to do some good in this world. So not at all business oriented. And I've had to explain this to a lot of students that nevertheless, skills from the business world are very useful. And I know you just mentioned the lab, which is a perfect segue. Can you briefly explain our leadership and innovation lab program for our listeners? Yes, it's an ecosystem. Basically, we want to be able to do everything that a student project requires, including birthing it, like brainstorming the idea, coming up with the plan. So this thing doesn't exist. It's on paper right now. Um, Kind of helping students make it into reality, nurturing a project, establishing it, setting it up, and then When the project is a little bit more um, mature, how can we help it level up? How can we help it reach internationally? How can we give it funds to grow? So we have our own little venture fund, which provides funding to projects. We have our own student research and innovation showcase where we allow students to talk about their blood, sweat and tears. Because I think that there should be more than college application platforms to talk about what they did. Then, of course, we have our programs in many formats. We have both group programs and individual programs that cater to different learning styles in a real world hands on setting of do it now. Set up your own project now, not at some future uncertain date. And from your experience, when is the ideal time for students to start thinking about these projects and where should they start? For me, an ideal time is grade 10. But if you want to start in grade 10, it means the planning starts in grade 9. Because by grade 10, you should have things up and running. By the time you apply, you would have run this project actively for two solid years. And I think that is a good amount of time to prove to anyone that you truly care about something. Because there is also the concern that a lot of people are doing things for the sake of doing things. So just Mm -hmm. just by virtue of time debunks that. I don't think you do something for the sake of doing something for two whole years. That's just a lot for anyone. That being said, this is the ideal situation for me. Life is not always ideal. So let's say somebody is no longer grade nine. My response to that is it's better late with something than never and nothing. A lot of parents and students will also ask me, my child is a rising junior, rising senior. Is it too late? And my answer will be, given the time that we have left, I think that has a definite impact on the scale of what we can do. But imagine if you did nothing. How would that look? Right. So for these students who feel like they're racing against time, what would be your best course of action here? I'm going to talk about the extreme worst case. Let's say that we have less than five months to app season and time is extremely tight. In those cases, I might help the student make up quantity with quality. Instead of starting their own project or organization from scratch, which may not be very meaningful given it's under five months, I may arrange for them to join existing organizations that have been around for way longer so they can capitalize on the fact that organization is established and they can do more in an established organization than spend their time and energy building something from scratch. And my earlier point about quality means that I might get them to do this with two or three organizations so that even Even though they're not the founder or the president of their own thing, they hold important enough positions in several existing student groups to amplify the profile that way. So I'm assuming that for students who feel like I don't have enough time or I don't have anything to put on my resume, 
your advice is to join a club and try to make a significant impact with whatever time they have, correct? Yes. If you are aiming for these kinds of schools, you have to be able to hand over something. The only acceptable alternative is, okay, I'm not aiming for a top tier school. I'm happy going to a mid tier school. Then fine. I think we can recalibrate expectations. But if you are aiming for that kind of school, you understand the kind of competition pool that you are swimming in. And you understand that this is not going to be an easy path. Okay. And another scenario here, I know we got a question before for students who feel like they're introverted and shy and don't feel like they can get up and lead a full club, for example. Do you have any advice for students that maybe feel uncomfortable in front-facing leadership positions? Yeah, I will respond to this question with two versions of answers. There is the soft version and the hard version. I've had a lot of experience working with students who are a bit on the shyer end, a bit more introverted. They require a little bit more help to come out of their shells. That's not an issue. Being introverted is not a personality flaw, which somehow a lot of my students think it is. For example, they say things like, oh, when I recruit a partner for my project, I need to get someone extroverted because my problem is that I'm introverted. Mm -hmm. My first step is let's stop thinking that being introverted is a problem, right? It's just a preference. Mm -hmm. You can learn to work with it, all right? And I always say that, introverts are only introverted until you find the right subject. Yes, I love that. Yes, Find the right subject and the right people. I think they also do not stop talking. I think they're just a little bit more picky about what they talk about. That's all. And that's not an issue. So that's the soft version. Hopefully you'll do a project that actually excites you, you're passionate about. So that already makes you a little bit less introverted because you care about the topic. Hopefully you find people who are on your same wavelength. If they're not on your same wavelength, let's find more people. Recruitment is also something that I'm able to help with. And all of this takes time, which is also something that I tell my kids. Why do we start early? Because everything takes time. Not only does establishing your project take time, but your personal growth also takes time. And for those who can bite the hard truth, the hard answer to that question is, you will have to deal with this as an adult. Nobody in the adult world is going to be kind to you because you say, I'm sorry, I'm introverted. We are kinder to you now because you're not an adult, you're a student, and we are here to help you. But the world may not be this kind. So it's probably better to learn that truth now and get over it rather than learn it in 10 years when you can't get a job. And grow in like a comfortable, safe space. Exactly. Exactly. And kind of building on to that, what other barriers do you often see with students that hold them back from pursuing their own projects? I think students are very constrained by self-doubt. That's my biggest observation. What's weird is that students nowadays are way more connected than maybe you and I were when we were growing up. Students today are, they are much more aware of what's happening around the world. They're far more connected. And yet they seem to think that the realm of possibility has shrunk. When we were younger, like, I guess we saw less, but we also felt that more was possible. We dreamed Um, more, I think. Yes, I think we felt that more was possible, maybe because there was less means for us to hear no. And nowadays, students have way more connections, way more means, and yet they feel less is possible. I tell students, you can expand your projects internationally. And then the first response I usually get is, oh, but I don't know anyone outside of my town. And I'm just like, (laughs) you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram. These are all people outside your town, you know? Sure, maybe if you try and reach out to them, they'll slam the door in your face, possible. But they could also talk back to you. You don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't know. So this to me seems very self-evident. 
But students don't believe me. And I think that goes along the lines of confidence. And I feel like confidence is really big with leadership. Do you have any advice for students on cultivating that, growing that confidence? I think confidence is a realization. It's not an acquisition. I often tell students that it's a fake it until you make it world. Confidence is not something that you just have. It's something that you go along and one day you realize that what you used to be scared of doesn't scare you anymore. And I know we just went on a full tangent on developing soft skills, but going back to leadership projects, can you give us some examples of past leadership and innovation lab projects that you've worked on with students? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try and give you a variety here. For example, during COVID, we had someone work on a online art exhibition, curated art pieces from people in her network, students, local community folks who want to find a platform to, to exhibit their art and organized an online exhibition where she sold the art and donated those proceeds to COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, so that was a very good project done completely online. And it's my Mm -hmm. go-to example to to show students how it can be completely virtual. It doesn't have to be in person at all. Mm -hmm. All of it was virtual art that that was auctioned. Another example is a peer counseling platform on Instagram of students across different countries, all passionate about psychology and and self-help. I I linked them up. So I know that all of these girls are interested in this subject. So I drew the connection between them in different countries. They don't know each other. And so they got together and they started a peer counseling program on Instagram. It's called Teen Helpers. And because they're from different countries, they speak different languages. So there's four languages that the counseling is offered in. They lend a listening ear to fellow teenagers. They basically try and help where they can. And of course, for more serious cases, they refer it to professional help. But mm-hmm. at the level, I think this is great. And let me give you one last example. We have a student who designed a 100% biodegradable coffee cup sleeve. Those like sleeves from Starbucks that yes. are just and you just throw. It's very bad. Student was like, which is in a stroke of genius, What if we can improve the environment without changing human behavior? Because humans are very stubborn. So what if we make the coffee cup sleeve biodegradable? He invented that. And it was a tough uphill struggle to get local coffee shops, local bodegas to switch over to his product. And Really? Yes, because, I mean, why would you randomly believe a student, a 17-year-old who walks into your coffee shop and be like, I have invented this thing. Would you consider switching? He really had to start with, personal network, friends and family, I told him, go to the coffee shops where you always get coffee because it's harder to say no to someone you like. Yes, that's true. That's how he started. And it took three, four months to gain traction. And then it just took off. He started getting orders coming in, people he's never spoken to who just heard about him. So it's the front part, the first few months where the struggle is rough. The grind is real. The issue is whether or not one gives up. Wow, I am so impressed at the coffee sleep. That's incredible. Yes, it truly is. It truly is. This student did very well. He's in a very good school now and he's still continuing the business because why not? I absolutely love that for him. And I'm so happy for his success because it shows really the impact that these projects can have outside of college applications, which I think is incredible. Um, So now that we've discussed some past projects that you've worked on, I'd love to go back to how this translates to a student's college application. I know in a previous webinar, you mentioned that Harvard has an extracurricular admissions rubric that they use to evaluate students. What are some key takeaways from this rubric when it comes to leadership projects? So I will talk about the very top and the very bottom. So a key takeaway at the very top is that in order for you to be ranked at the 
top possible category in Harvard's rubric, you need to be a national athlete or did something for your country. How many of us are like this, right? Is the response then, am I just not going to make it? Is that the response? No, the response is you make your own national team. So mm-hmm. if you created your own opportunity and that opportunity spans several states, got to a national level, got to an international level, that puts you in the same category as someone who was on their national fencing team. So find your own solution to get to that category. That's my answer for the top one. The bottom category is if you have little or no participation in anything outside grades. So you can be a straight A student, have full marks on both SAT and ACT and still be in this lowest category because you never did anything outside books. I think this is a very sobering realization for a lot of people. People still think that all of this extra stuff is complimentary. You need to have the grades first. You don't have the grades. None of that matters. It's true to some extent, but the flip side of this is even if you have the grades and you don't have that stuff, it still doesn't matter. And I don't think a lot of people see it that way. I love how you just said that. I mean, you just really laid down the hard truth right there for all of us. Now coming up next, we're going to dive into what different top schools look for in leadership projects. But before we do that, I have a special promo that I'd love to share with our podcast listeners. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So you just heard Maya, you could have the grades and the test scores, but if you don't have the leadership experience, it's all for nothing. Instead of trying to grapple with where to start, you can join our Leadership and Innovation Lab program. And we have a special promo for our podcast listeners. You can get 10% off the program if you sign up before July 31st, and that's up to $880 off. You'll get to work with Maya, have access to her extensive knowledge, expertise, and guidance. You're not going to spend weeks just discussing the theory behind leadership with no action behind it. Instead, you'll spend just three weeks on laying down the foundation, and the remaining five weeks will be spent on the actual action part of your project. You'll leave this program with something tangible and significant to put on your resume. So don't wait and claim this promotion before it ends by signing up for a free consultation with one of our enrollment counselors and let them know you came from the podcast. Now back to the interview. So before we left, we were talking about Harvard's extracurricular admissions rubric. Can you share some insight on what different top schools look for in leadership projects? Colleges have different expectations when it comes to application profile. Harvard is very into students who do a lot of community service, a lot of volunteering. MIT, for example, they like students who are at the cutting edge of technology, who are innovative, very interested in tech. I don't think that comes as a surprise. It's MIT. Brown, for example, they like students who are a little bit more quirky, interest in ornithology, for instance. And we actually have a girl in the Leadership Innovation Lab who is just really into birds. Her project is, I'm just going to run educational workshops teaching people about different kinds of birds. I like that. Wow, I love that. Yeah. That's what she's into. If you have some idea of what your intended major is, what your schools are, you will tailor your project to what you need. So just to recap here, your first steps would be to brainstorm, identify your interests, and maybe even consider the school you want to apply to or the major that you're interested in. What's next after that? So after we have created the project action plan, the next actionable step is actually action. My students find all reasons to procrastinate. Just I don't think I've planned enough. Oh, no, it's not the right time. Everyone's on summer holiday. 
And I keep telling them that the first step is the hardest. After that, it flows on its own. So even if the article looks like complete crap to you, just put it out there, put it on your website. It will get the ball rolling Mm -hmm. and convince students to just do that. You're not striving for perfection. You're just going for action. That is the hardest thing. And after that, would the next step be presenting at a conference? I know our program has showcases. So let me talk a little bit more about that. As part of our Leadership and Innovation Lab ecosystem, we do have biannual every May and November Student Research and Innovation Showcase, where we um, feature high quality student research. And we also feature promising student projects. So I choose the word promising very carefully because it means that you don't have to show that you've done it already because most student projects are ongoing. There is no true ending. So I just want to see promise. I want to see effort, promise, potential. I want to see a plan for expansion. I don't expect students to come to me with done projects. That has never happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it will ever happen. So in the May showcase, videos of which are available on the Leadership and Innovation Lab YouTube channel, we featured five papers and five projects. We let students talk about their academic interests, the literature review process, the original research, brainstorming for the project. How did they recruit? How did they find their interests? And then for the venture fund, we actually offer up to 10K USD in funding a year. This is the only fund in existence, as far as I know, that is dedicated to funding high school level student projects. Every six months, we call for applications for funding. And our whole point is to support these student projects. So we really don't ask for anything in return. It's really to help them. Well, I think that is absolutely incredible. And I'm curious, is showcasing or getting a grant for projects, is that something significant to mention in a resume? Yes. All of our students who've been featured on the showcase put that they have conference uh, presentation experience on their application. That definitely helps as opposed to just doing a project on your own, which you are free to and of course encouraged to. Having that project be recognized by an impartial third party, that the effort that you've put in, the quality that you've produced, being recognized at a conference, I think that really embellishes your project and it gives you the, the credit and the recognition that you deserve rightfully. And of course, getting funding from the Little Venture Fund, I think this is true beyond student life, even in adult life. Just being able to get monetary reward in exchange for effort is one of the clearest signs that you're doing something right. All of our students put that on their college application, of course, and I think it helps. Amazing. Thank you so much, Maya, for sharing your insights and expertise on leadership. I do have just one last question before we end. If you could give one key piece of advice to parents or students, and this can be anything college admissions, what would it be? I have two pieces of advice, two things I would like to say. The first thing is, I think it's important to note the very key concept of uniqueness. We constantly talk about this, right? That what you do has to be unique. But students tell me, how is it possible for my project to be unique, right? Is there a point in me running a tutoring platform if like 10,000 other kids have run tutoring platforms before? So I have to re-explain the concept of uniqueness, which is that, yes, they all have run tutoring platforms, but they're not you. They don't have your specific interests. They don't have your specific life story. So their project is by definition different from yours, even if it looks similar. So I think this is a concept that a lot of students have difficulty grasping. And I have to tell them that actually, philosophically and conceptually, no idea is truly new. What you should worry more about is whether or not this project makes sense for you. My second thing is, this is a juncture in your life where 
everything and anything is possible. So don't let that fear hold you back. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.